You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning. This is Ron Bachman. You're on America's Web Radio, and you're listening to Healthcare Insight. If you've been a listener to this program week after week, you know that we've been talking about healthcare reform issues, proposing replacement ideas for Obamacare, improvements to Obamacare, the changes in the healthcare system that actually be patient-centered, consumer-centered, however you want to talk about it, something that's designed for us in the marketplace out there looking for real solutions. Private health insurance, that really works. And we know that Republicans have not been able to put together a program that they can consolidate around. They've failed in their attempts to replace Obamacare. They don't have a program that actually does replace it. And Democrats have failed with Obamacare. So as far as consumers, as far as American citizens, we're left out there with a dysfunctional system, subsidies going to people who probably don't need subsidies, and a system that's got so many silos that of dysfunction that it's hard to imagine anybody would have ever created a system like the one we have. Well, instead of talking about a new system, I want to change the topic of the program today about health care and talk about what's going on with Obamacare in the courts. Because the Supreme Court has recently made an announcement So just like it did almost eight years ago, the Supreme Court is once again going to weigh in on the constitutionality of Obamacare, or what's officially known as the Affordable Care Act, although the actual name was the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act. And they're going to talk about the individual mandate, because changes have occurred over the last eight years that allow this challenge to Obamacare to actually reach the Supreme Court. And I want to go through that today and give everybody a layman's understanding of what the challenge is, what the issues are, and we'll see this unfold over the next five or six months. But I want to lay the foundation by going back to the original bill that was passed on March 20th, 2010, the Affordable Care Act. Because the seeds of all the problems that have arisen, the seeds of the division, the conflict in the court decisions arise out of that original bill, how it was passed, and what was actually in it. I was there, so let me try to describe my recollection of the issues and problems. Now, when a bill is passed by Congress and signed into law, the typical process is that it will pass in one house, say the House of Representatives, pass in the other house, the Senate, and get signed into law by the President. But before all that happens, typically the House and the Senate have different opinions about a law and how it should cure a particular problem they're trying to address. So each will pass their own versions, and then it will go to a conference committee, which will work out the differences and then go back to both the House and the Senate in a unified way with a single bill with similar language that they've all agreed on, and then it will pass those parts of Congress and go on to the President for signature. That did not happen with Obamacare. What happened with Obamacare, for those who 
weren't around or paying as much attention 10 years ago is that another fact has to come into play. First of all, all tax bills have to originate in the House. That is the way our Constitution is structured. Well, the House passed a bill that went over to the Senate that had something to do with taxes, but the entire bill was removed except for the fact that there was a bill number there and the Obamacare bill was put in by the Senate, not by the House. So here's the first problem that was argued, that if Obamacare is a tax bill, and that's ultimately what we're going to continue to talk about throughout this whole process leading up to current day, is if it's a tax bill, it has to start in the House. But this didn't really start in the House except for a game that was played by the Senate. By taking the House bill and putting it together with the Affordable Care Act, which the House had never passed a single word of. Then what happened in the Senate was they had a 60-member Democratic filibuster-proof majority. In the Senate, you have to have 60 votes in order to go on to even consider a piece of legislation. It's not part of the Constitution. It is a historical uh, development in the Senate so that a simple majority can't ramrod things through. Just They can in the House, but not in the Senate. So what happened in the Senate was the Affordable Care Act was put together entirely along political party lines, and Democrats were able to pass it by 60 votes. That was like 2009, Christmas Eve, when they did this. Amazingly enough, they stayed in session Christmas Eve to get this thing passed, with no Republican votes whatsoever. But then before the next year passed by and went through Christmas and New Year's, something happened. A critical issue happened. Senator Ted Kennedy, one of the 60 Democrats, died. And there was a special election. And a Republican, Scott Brown, was elected on the basis that he was going to vote against the Affordable Care Act. So the Democrats no longer had a 60 filibuster-proof majority. So what happened was, when the bill was taken up by the House, they had to pass it word for word. They could not make a single change in that bill. Otherwise, it would have to go to a conference committee. So they avoided that with another trick. And they passed it in the House word for word and went on to the president for signature. Now, during this whole process, which is really convoluted as the way normal laws are passed, The Democrats kept saying, well, there's no tax here. It is a penalty. And Republicans kept saying, no, 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 it's a tax. You can't force people to do something, go out and buy something. That's not, we can't tell people to go out and buy a private product. Like, go out, you have to buy an American car. You have to buy a TV. We can't, in Congress, force people to buy something that they don't want. And so... In order to do that, it would have to be a tax. But Democrats kept saying, no, it's not a tax. It's a penalty. And they got it passed and signed into law by Obama because he's a Democrat, and Democrats had pushed this all the way through, even though the president at the time, Obama, had said he would never sign a bill that didn't have bipartisan support. So that's what we were left with, a real mess that came out of Congress and signed into law without any bipartisan support whatsoever. And the issue of whether it was a tax or not was a real question. 
One side said it was, one side said it was not. Republicans said it was a tax, Democrats said no, it's not a tax. So it went on to the Supreme Court ultimately as the challenge, as to whether it was constitutional on several grounds. And the Supreme Court wound up accepting a review of the Affordable Care Act on cases in March 26 to 28, 2012, about two years later before it finally got there. And the most interesting part is the very first thing they had to do was decide whether or not it was a tax. Because if it is a tax, there's something called in federal law an anti-injunction act, which says that you cannot even bring it before a court, certainly not the Supreme Court, if it's a tax, because if it is a tax, you cannot sue anybody, you cannot bring it to court to be judged on until the tax takes effect. And in Obamacare, that tax was not supposed to take effect for a couple of years. So if it was, in fact, a tax, the Anti-Injunction Act would come into play, and the court would say, we can't even hear it. So that was the first decision. Guess what they decided? They decided that the Anti-Injunction Act does not apply in this case, because the Affordable Care Act describes the payment required for those who fail to obtain the minimum essential coverage by 2014 as a penalty and not as a tax. So in the very first thing that they looked at, the Supreme Court said, oh, it's not a tax because it's described as a penalty. Okay, so now we can move forward and see whether or not the bill is constitutional enough. So. Roberts tried to get into uh, Supreme Court Justice Roberts tried to get into the whole idea, well, is the individual mandate constitutional if it's considered as a tax? And here was his explanation in summary. Although the mandate is called a penalty rather than a tax in the Affordable Care Act, Congress is nevertheless within its taxing power to impose it because the mandate is functionally equivalent to a tax but not to a penalty. Do you sense that there's some sort of a kabuki dance going on here? They're saying the Anti-Injunction Act doesn't apply because it's a penalty, it's not a tax, but then Roberts comes around and says, oh, but Congress can impose it anyway because it's functionally equivalent to a tax. Well, if it's functionally equivalent to a tax, why wasn't it covered by the Anti-Injunction Act, which the whole thing would have been uh, disregarded and couldn't be considered by the Supreme Court until 2014. But that's not how they ruled. So the most important question, legal question before the Supreme Court now, is whether or not the tax, which was originally in the bill as a certain amount to be paid, has now been defanged because Congress said that penalty is now zero. So can you have a tax that is zero? That's a question that the current court is ultimately going to answer. But I want to talk about how some think this is unconstitutional, it's beyond the scope of the power of the Congress to require Americans to buy privately marketed commodity. Can they really make you buy something just by calling it a tax. 
if they can make you buy something by calling it a tax, but the tax is zero, could you not attach that to any bill and say you have to buy a car, you have to buy a house, you have to buy a TV, you have to buy a certain product, and if not, you're going to be taxed, but the tax is zero? That seems like a pretty convoluted extension of a convoluted situation that we find ourselves in because of the way the original Affordable Care Act was passed. So now how do we get to 2020? What's the buildup for this besides this whole issue of the original bill being considered a tax and then not a tax in 2010? And since then, the change in the the law under the um, uh, Tax Reform Act that was passed under uh, President Trump that removed that tax or made it zero, how does that work its way through and how does the Supreme Court interpret that? Well, that's the background and the history in this first segment of our program. I want to come back now after the commercial and we're going to talk about how we moved from 2012 approval by the Supreme Court until we are now in 2020 and what the issues really are. So hang with me. We're going to be right back, and uh, we're going to try to keep this in layman's language and talk about one of the most important cases the Supreme Court is going to take up when they get back into session next year. My name is Kyle Hayes, a motorsports student at Alfred State College. Every year, Alfred State students compete in the Great Race, which is a cross-country time endurance rally for vintage vehicles. As you can imagine, it's pretty costly. I'm asking for your help. Your donation can make it possible for these students to live their passion and promote the vintage automobile industry. Please visit our site at give.alfredstate.edu and search Great Race to learn more and help us reach our goal. Thank you. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to America's Web Radio. We are talking about the Supreme Court decision to take on Obamacare again, that there has been a series of issues that have been raised by lower courts that has um, gotten the attention and approval to be heard by the Supreme Court. So let's do a quick review for people out there like me, laymen, non-lawyers, to understand where we stand as the, the Supreme Court ruling in 2010. First, we had a piece of legislation that should have started in the House, a congressional trick by the Senate, replaced that bill number with the Affordable Care Act, so the Affordable Care Act really didn't start in the House like it is legally supposed to. They passed the bill with a 60-vote partisan filibuster-proof vote on the Affordable Care Act. Nobody thought that that was going to be the final bill, so they left stuff in there that they knew was going to be taken out. But it was a rush to get the Senate to pass it. One critical issue I didn't mention in the first segment that's going to come up later on. Normally bills passed by federal law or state law have a provision. It's almost always the very last section of any bill. It's called a severability clause. And that clause almost always says something along these lines. That if there is anything in this bill that is determined to be unconstitutional, then only that section of the law is removed. 
the rest of the bill will stand as constitutional. So you're allowed to separate out and sever from the bill any particular part that's considered to be unconstitutional. Well, guess what? In the rush to pass the bill in the Senate, there is no severability clause in the Affordable Care Act. So there's nothing in there that says if one part is considered to be unconstitutional, the whole bill is unconstitutional. So, having left that clause out, let's recognize again the second thing that happened in the passage of the bill. With Ted Kennedy dying, the House could only pass it word for word because it could never get the 60 votes necessary in the Senate again because Scott Brown was elected to vote against it as a replacement for Ted Kennedy after he passed away. So on Christmas Eve of all days, the House passed the bill word for word, went to the president, President Obama, and he signed it into law. We then had the case challenged in court, and it took until 2012 for the court to hear the case. Now here's where we pick up the story again. That the first thing the Supreme Court had to decide was, is it a tax or is it not a tax? Is the penalty, as described by the Democrats when it was going through Congress, they kept saying it was a penalty, not a tax. Republicans wanted to label it as a tax so that the public, who is typically against taxes, would not support the bill. Well, the bill was passed using these political tricks of the Congress. And it goes to the Supreme Court. So the very first thing the Supreme Court had to do was decide whether or not this was a tax or not. Because if it is a tax, the whole case had to wait another two years because you cannot sue under a tax for the reason of a tax until the tax is imposed. And the tax for the individual mandate, that is making people pay a penalty for not having insurance, wasn't going to occur until 2014. So the Supreme Court heard that first. And guess what they decided? By a nine-to-nothing vote, those a completely unanimous vote, both liberal and conservative justices altogether decided that it was not a tax. That the bill stated it was a penalty. Therefore, it was not a tax. And the case could then move forward. Well, now, keep in mind, the Supreme Court is typically very divided between the conservative and the liberal judges. And most of these cases, and ultimately this case, is going to be decided on a five-to-four vote. So where that fifth vote goes is critically important. So what happened was that when they went to actually review whether or not this, the Congress can force people to buy private insurance, it ultimately, two days after ruling nine to nothing that it was not a tax, the important question, it really got down to, can Congress force people to buy private insurance? And the general opinion is that it cannot, but 
it can enforce under its authority a tax. So amazingly enough, what happened was in 2012, the final ruling came out on a five to four judgment that Obamacare was constitutional because the underlying portion of it was a tax after two days before telling us it wasn't a tax. You go figure. I'm not a lawyer, but that makes very little sense to me. Because some felt it was unconstitutional and was beyond the scope of the congressional power to require Americans to buy a private market commodity. The court decided that because the penalty was treated as a tax and Congress has the right to impose taxes, the act was constitutional. How does that happen? One day it's not a tax, and the next two days later it is a tax. Well, the suspicion is that Chief Justice Roberts had decided to vote that the bill was unconstitutional. In fact, if you look at the decisions, both the majority and the minority decisions that were written up on this, it clearly indicates that this bill was going to be determined to be unconstitutional. And it was started to be written that way, and it looks like, at the last minute, Chief Justice Roberts changed his mind and has been criticized ever since of going with the four liberal justices and determining it was constitutional. But he had to do jujitsu to get there. He had to say that it is now a tax when two days before he had said it was not a tax. So we've had Obamacare now for 10 years. So what's happened that's critical in the meantime? Well, in 2016, the Republican Party held control of both the House and the Senate and gained control of the executive branch with the election of Donald Trump. And Trump had campaigned on the promise of replacing the Affordable Care Act once he was in office, as had many Republicans. And they tried to repeal the law, but they couldn't get enough votes to do that. But in December 2017, a large tax relief bill was passed. It's called the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act of 2017. Among the many other tax cuts, the act eliminated the individual mandate requirement from the Affordable Care Act by reducing the required amount of health insurance coverage penalty to zero dollars starting in 2019. So you see how this gets kind of very tricky from both a logic standpoint and certainly from a legal standpoint. At one point it's a tax, one point it's not a tax. Supreme Court rules it's not a tax, then it is a tax in making their decisions. And now we have a new bill passed by the Congress that says, all right, if it's a tax, we're going to make the tax zero. So where does that leave the Supreme Court? Where does that leave the judicial decision-making. Well, in 2018, Texas, led by 19 other states in a federal lawsuit, it's called the United States District Court for the Northern District of Texas, challenging the constitutionality of the Affordable Care Act following the removal of that individual mandate from the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. 
So there was now a new reason to challenge. If that tax was zero, does that mean that the Affordable Care Act is no longer a tax bill? Well, that suit is called Texas versus Azar. Azar is the new secretary of HHS who has to implement the Affordable Care Act. Well, they established that since the individual mandate was seen as a core provision of the Affordable Care Act, as determined by the Supreme Court in that 2012 ruling, then with its removal, the entire law became an unconstitutional exercise of congressional taxing power. Well, the United States Department of Justice told the district court in 2018 that it mostly agreed with the general assessment of that lawsuit. That without the individual mandate, certain provisions of the Affordable Care Act are invalid such that the protections are provided for those things like pre-existing conditions and would not defend the factors in the court. However, the Justice Department still believes certain provisions of the Affordable Care Act are valid. To go along with the severability clause that I talked about a minute ago, the Justice Department was kind of saying, okay, we'll just remove certain parts of it. Well, then on December 14, 2018, so we're getting closer to current day, District Judge Reed O'Connor released his opinion on the case, affirming that without the individual mandate, the whole of the Affordable Care Act was unconstitutional, going much further than the Justice Department had even indicated, because they only wanted parts of it to be removed. O'Connor wrote, the individual mandate can no longer be fairly read as an exercise of Congress's tax power and is still impermissible under the Interstate Commerce Clause, meaning the individual mandate is unconstitutional. He then further reasoned that the individual mandate is an essential part of the entire law and thus not severable, making the entire law unconstitutional. O'Connor's decision rendered the Affordable Care Act unconstitutional but did not immediately overturn the law. Among reaction to this decision was California, a liberal state, and several other liberal democratic states in particular, vowing to challenge to the ruling of the district court. Well, you don't have to be a lawyer to know that district courts then can go up to circuit courts. So it goes up to the Fifth Circuit Court. And in January 2019, less than a year and a half ago now, 17 states, led by California, filed an appeal of O'Connor's decision to the Fifth Circuit Court as the Justice Department had indicated it would not challenge that ruling. So it wasn't going anyplace unless somebody else jumped in and challenged it. And California and 17 other states did. At this point, it was recognized that the case was likely bound for the Supreme Court and would land in the midst of the 2020 elections, making it a critical issue for both parties in the 2020 elections. So we've now moved forward to just a year and a half ago and movement to the Fifth Circuit Court after the challenge to Obamacare's constitutionality was actually upheld as being unconstitutional by the Fifth Circuit Court. Let's take another quick break, and we're going to come back, and we're going to try to move this saga one step forward, and we'll wrap up the end of the hour by talking about where we go from here. See you in a few minutes. 
The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to America's Web Radio. You're listening to Ron Bachman, and the program is Healthcare Insight. And today we've been talking about the Supreme Court decision to accept another challenge to Obamacare, or the Affordable Care Act. So we've gone through the legislative history and the complications there, some of the issues that are sort of festering out there, little pieces of cancer that may be uh, developing that will kill Obamacare, or maybe not. We talked about that uh, original legislation, some of the problems that it had, the way it was passed, interpretations, is it a tax, is it not a tax? Then it went to um, a challenge that um, with the change in the tax law in 2017, there was another challenge that went to district court, and that district court judge ruled that the entire bill is unconstitutional. Now, political partisans will, of course, say that Judge Reed was appointed by Obama, uh, by uh, Trump. He's a conservative, and uh, he didn't like Obamacare to begin with, and so he's ruled against it. Well, what happened after he ruled? Because district courts are not the highest court. There's the circuit courts in between, and there's the Supreme Court. So when the district court judge ruled that way and the Justice Department said, okay, we, we'll let that go. We agree with it. It's unconstitutional. We're not going to challenge it. A new challenger stepped forward, California and 17 other states. And they appealed to the Fifth Circuit Court. And um, four additional states joined um, in February 2019, but it was originally led by 17 um, uh, California and other states. And so it brought the total number to 21 states challenging it. And the Democratic-controlled House of Representatives followed the 2018 election, also defended the bill. So with the Democrats now in control of the House, they actually stepped in as the body of the House uh, to challenge the ruling of the district court and to support the uh, circuit court taking a look at it. Well, the uh, Justice Department filed a brief in support of Texas, in uh, March of 2019, because they're now in full agreement with O'Connor's decision that the ACA as a whole is unconstitutional without the individual mandate. And they would support the Texas in challenging uh, the uh, states of California and uh, total 21 states. So prior to the July 2019 oral hearings, the judges in the Fifth Circuit Court raised some questions about whether California and other states had standing to even bring this challenge to the original suit and to have it go up to the Fifth Circuit. So the oral hearings before the judges focused on the constitutional challenge, the intent of Congress when they wrote the bill and passed the Tax Cuts and the Jobs Act on the matter of standing. Standing in legal senses can, in fact, 
California and the 21 states challenge uh, the, the district court uh, decision? Do they have standing? Are they impacted uh, by that decision? And observers believe that the court would be deciding to uphold O'Connor's ruling due to the questions on this initial hearing, uh, because two of the judges were appointed by Republican presidents, only one judge was appointed by a Democrat, and that'd be Jimmy Carter. Well, the Fifth Circuit issued its ruling in December 18, 2019, so now that's you know only six months ago. And it was a two-to-one decision along the lines of uh, what was considered to be likely, two Republicans and one Democrats on different sides, but the two Republicans were in the majority, and they upheld um, Judge O'Connor's decision with the elimination of the individual and mandates and parts of the ACA were potentially unconstitutional. Uh, not necessarily the whole bill, but parts of it. However, what they decided was kind of like in court kicking the can down the road. They're, they decided to remand the case back to the district court. And by that, it means they're going to send it back to the district court, arguing that O'Connor's conclusion that the whole ACA was unconstitutional may be flawed, may be flawed. And they were kind of wanting the, uh, the district court to take the original Justice Department position that parts of the ACA were unconstitutional, not the whole amount. Well, the Fifth Circuit decision asked that district court to consider the concept of severability. Remember, that goes all the way back to the original passage of the bill, which did not include a severability clause. But sometimes courts just assume it's there even if it's not written into law and could have been written into the law. Well, the Fifth Circuit judge also asked the district court to consider a suggestion by that Supreme Court that included in one of its briefs that the ACA may be invalid only in those states that had challenged it, as questions remain to the degree in which the ACA was unconstitutional and the Affordable Care Act remained in enforcement following that decision. So they asked it to go back to the district court is the bottom line. Very simple. I understand that as a layman. They said, we're not going to decide on this, but there are a few issues we'd like for you to reconsider at the district court level before we take it on at the um, circuit court level. Well, California was kind of concerned because they felt that ultimately the district court was going to continue its ruling and that the um, circuit court was sort of a conservative court and would uh, would uphold the district court's decision that the whole thing was unconstitutional. So, what did the California and the Group of 21 do? They filed to the Supreme Court on January 3, 2020, so just this year, and they filed it in response to the Fifth Circuit Court's decision of sending it back to the district court. The filing asked the court to be heard on an expedited schedule. In other words, they wanted it to be handled right away in 2020 because of the practical importance of the questions presented for review and the pressing need for their swift resolution. Although it's believed that this was really to sort of keep the issue of health care as a pressing matter in the 2020 election. So, you know, there's politics throughout everything, but that's sort of what was going on. So Texas and the other states also filed a petition in February 2020 to the Supreme Court, asking them 
to deny the expedited review of the case as it was not yet ready because it had to go back to the district court first. So they said, let the process sort of work its way out. Well, the Supreme Court refused to hear the case on an expedited schedule. And that would mean that they would have heard it in the 2019 to 2020 term. Well, as some of you may know, the Supreme Court term really ends on June 30th. So that was the expedited they wanted with the expedition for it to actually be decided during this past year, which the Supreme Court ended on June 30th. And they don't come into court again until the first Monday of October, whatever date that is. So they decided not to hear it on an expedited schedule, but they did decide to hear the case on March 2nd, 2020. They decided to hear the case during the next term from 2020 to 2021. Reviewing not only the severability factors, but the standing issue raised by the Fifth Circuit. So the Supreme Court has agreed now to hear this, but not right away. Now, when they come into court for the new year in the first Monday of October in 2020, it's going to be before the election. The election is November 3rd. So there's still an uncertain question as to when it's going to be scheduled. Is it going to be scheduled right before the election or right after the election? Well, the decision is not going to be made until later, and so the suspicion will be that they will, in fact, not, not want to be hearing this case to eliminate the Affordable Care Act and make it a major, major issue for the election, but it's going to be decided and heard after the election. So that's sort of where we stand right now. It's at the Supreme Court level. Supreme Court's going to hear it, and the case is going to be decided again on whether or not it's really a tax and whether or not there's severability. Those issues that we talked about at the very beginning of this whole process, what happened in Congress. Is it a tax? Is it not a tax? This is like a ping pong ball going back and forth. When the bill was originally being passed, Democrats said it was not a tax. Republicans said it was a tax. Went to the Supreme Court. Nine justices of the Supreme Court, unanimous decision, said it was not a tax. Two days later, in the discussion of whether the Affordable Care Act is constitutional or not, five justices, including Supreme Court justice, said, oh, well, they don't call it a tax. It's called a penalty, but it acts like a tax. So if it walks like a duck, quacks like a duck, acts like a duck, I guess it's a duck. He ruled it's a tax, and now it's constitutional. We think he ruled after an original dis- de- determination by him that it was unconstitutional, and he ruled it's constitutional because it is a tax. Really a distorted way to get legislation and really a very distorted way to have laws made, reviewed, verified by courts, challenged in courts, what we have now is a real mess. And what many are arguing is that you can't really remove it. There's too many people who are involved right now. There's too many people getting government subsidies. There's too many people have their health insurance reliant on the Affordable Care Act. And by the way, 
the Trump administration has not offered an alternative. And it is that reason exactly that I have been for the last nine months proposing an entire approach that will replace the Affordable Care Act, cover things like pre-existing conditions, guaranteed issue, lifetime maximums, all the positives of the Affordable Care Act that people enjoy and have been given some benefit of. We can put together a bill that has those good aspects and eliminate all the bad aspects. I don't know what the Supreme Court's ultimately going to decide, but it's going to be a very interesting discussion during the Supreme Court hearing on the Affordable Care Act and whether or not this is going to be held as unconstitutional now that we have a bill that is called a tax bill. That's how it was passed originally in 2012 uh, by the Supreme Court, saying it passed their muster of saying, yes, it's, it's constitutional because... The requirements are a tax, and as long as it's a tax bill, the government can force you to buy the product because it's a tax bill. Now that the tax is zero, can the government force you to buy something because it's a tax, but the tax is zero? That doesn't make any sense to me. But, of course, I have to admit, none of this kabuki dance around the Affordable Care Act as to whether it's a tax or not a tax makes a lot of sense to me. There's an enormous inconsistency when laws and the logic of legislation should have a clear line that a a layman can really understand, that you're not twisting words one day and then retwisting them the next day and saying that makes sense. Well, let's come back after this next commercial, and we're going to talk about where we go from here and what the possibilities are, and what the ramifications are for this coming up at the end of this year as we near an election. Let's talk about that and the ramifications and what might be the ultimate outcome. I love your opinions on it, but we're gonna, I'm going to give you mine, and hopefully we'll get a chance to talk about it later on. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not... You probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the final session of Healthcare Insight. We've been talking about the Supreme Court and its decision to take up the latest challenge to Obamacare. Now, what happens to most of us, we're so involved in our daily lives and our work and our family and our children, and especially this time of year where we're all talking about the coronavirus and whether we're going to have a second uh, surge and what's happening in some of the states that are having an increase in uh, cases and whether or not that means that we're going to have a, a number of deaths increase or not. 
Uh, we're all debating that. And what's happening behind the scenes that we're not seeing is one of the most important things that can affect our lives going forward. That is the Supreme Court's decision on whether the Affordable Care Act, after 10 years of its being implemented, is in fact now considered to be unconstitutional because the changes in the law that were made in the 2017 tax law changes that removed the individual mandate. And that was the cornerstone of the Affordable Care Act. It was the reason why the Supreme Court originally decided it was constitutional because there was a tax involved. It was a tax bill, and Congress has the ability to tax us. So where are we going with this now? What's the situation that is really going on And what's the political play behind all of this? Well, what California and the House of Representatives really want by asking the Supreme Court to take this on and not allowing the normal process of going back to the district court and then the circuit court making a ruling is they really want the Affordable Care Act to survive if the mandate is unconstitutional. Even though the Fifth Fifth Circuit Court did not reach that question, They were concerned that waiting for the lower courts to rule again, while it will simplify the inquiry as to whether California and other states even have a legal right to appeal the ruling, those states are concerned that it would rule against them. They also wanted to be sure that this is part of the political dialogue going into the 2020 election. Healthcare has always been a winner for Democrats. And it looks like the Republicans are trying to get rid of the Affordable Care Act, which will be characterized as getting rid of pre-existing conditions and guaranteed issue. We all have some pre-existing condition, whether it was something from birth, whether it's an accident, illness, just getting older, we all have issues. And if we allow insurance companies, as they used to before, sort of cherry pick and decide that we can't have insurance because we have some condition that they think is makes us uninsurable or they just don't want to insure us. We have no authority, no power to go back against that decision, and we just have to be without insurance. People who are trying to change jobs, they can't get insurance because they need an individual policy, which were the most heavily underwritten in the past. So California and Democrats want to make this a political issue. And that's why they wanted the Supreme Court to take this up. And they got a partial victory on that because the Supreme Court said they will take it up. But we don't know if it's going to be a Supreme Court argument, debate before the election, between when they open up in first Monday of October and November 3rd when the election is. But the Supreme Court granted the uh, petition for review and they're asking the judges to weigh in on three questions. One, whether... They have a right to sue at all. That's what the first question the Supreme Court is going to decide. Do they have a right to sue as a state and as a House of Representatives weighing in on this bill? So they'll decide that first. Second, whether the mandate is unconstitutional. In other words, now that there's not a tax, whether it's unconstitutional. And whether, if it's unconstitutional, whether it can be separated from the rest of the Affordable Care Act. The justices also granted a cross-petition from Texas, so when California asked for the Supreme Court to take take a case, as we mentioned earlier, Texas also asked the Supreme Court to take on the case. 
So we asked the court to decide whether the district court was correct in deeming the entire ACA invalid. So again, it all rests on whether it's a tax or not. And now we got such a mess from the original decision in 2012 by the Supreme Court claiming that it's constitutional because of the tax. Now we still have a bill that says there's a tax, but the tax is zero. So can the Supreme Court actually say something can be mandated by law for you to buy if there's no tax involved in that discussion? Is it really a tax bill? Well, the petitions will probably be considered for about an hour of oral argument before the court, and the argument is likely to be scheduled after the election, but maybe before the election, sometime in October even. So, although the justice is almost certainly not to issue the ruling until after the election, there could be a real debate. And what this carries over into is we've got a divided court. we got four liberals, four conservatives, and one that seems to be bouncing back and forth, and that's Justice Roberts, the Chief Justice. So what would happen if one of the justices becomes disabled, passes away, decides to retire between now and October? What's going to happen to the Supreme Court? Will President Trump be able to appoint another Supreme Court justice in time to hear this case? Well, that's another big uncertainty. Will the election center around the interest of conservatives, Republicans wanting to get rid of the Affordable Care Act, that they will come out and vote for Trump just to get another seat on the Supreme Court. Well, it's going to all be up in the air. So no matter when or exactly what the Supreme Court hears, is put the Trump administration and the Democrats in a politically dangerous position. And I don't know which side I'd fall on. Is it better for the Republicans or the Democrats to have this discussion? Most Americans these days have a fairly favorable view of the Affordable Care Act because if you're working for a large self-insured plan, Obamacare really doesn't affect you as much as it does if you're an individual with insurance or if you work for a small employer that has a fully insured product where the Affordable Care Act has many more restrictions. In the months before the election, Trump's Justice Department will be filing briefs asking the Supreme Court to take away health care from a large number of people. But the Trump administration has said that if Obamacare is considered to be unconstitutional, that that would not take effect until a couple of years from now, in which case there would be time to put together a new bill that would cover people and cover all the conditions that Affordable Care Act covers without all the mandates and requirements and restrictions it has. It would be a much better bill. So the Justice Department will argue that the course must obliterate a slew of popular reforms, including guaranteed that children remain on the parents' insurance through age 26 and a requirement that plans cover crucial services like maternity and mental health benefits. That's basically what the Justice Department is going to be asking for, or at least it will be characterized that way. But that's not really what they're asking for. But that will be the political argument because they're asking to get rid of the Affordable Care Act. But what they're asking is, let's get rid of the Affordable Care Act so we can put in a better program. So the politics around how to interpret 
the actions before the Supreme Court, how to interpret the arguments. It's a very difficult line. The Republicans going to ask to get rid of the Affordable Care Act while it's telling the public it wants to put in something better, but it hasn't put that forward. So if the Affordable Care Act is eliminated, how many people is that going to affect? Well, it's going to affect the Medicaid expansion that's already been involved and has um, uh, subsidies for like 9 million people. Uh, eliminate exchanges, the federal exchanges, which is covered between 9 and 11 million people. Um, so the political repercussions are pretty significant. And the election, on who's going to get out to vote and who's going to be motivated to vote. So healthcare in the United States has always been important. And right now it's kind of on the back burner. People aren't even recognizing it. But I guarantee you, by the time we get to the election, it's going to be front and center in a debate around who should get elected and what we're going to be putting in its place. Democrats have already said the Affordable Care Act is unconstitutional and they take control, we'll get Medicare for all. We'll get a single-payer system. So that's going to be the argument that's going to be the Democratic centerpiece for the 2020 election. We don't see it now, but it's coming. And the real key here, ultimately, in these decisions is probably Chief Justice Roberts, because he's previously flip-flopped on the Affordable Care Act. He was going to rule against it, then he ruled for it. He changed his mind at the last minute after the decisions were already written up in 2012. He was going to vote for it to be unconstitutional, and he changed his mind at the last second. So assuming all four liberal justices remain on the bench for another year or so, the Supreme Court will probably throw out this case. But in the meantime, it will be a constant reminder to the voters that Republicans are intent on getting rid of the U.S. health care system and putting it into chaos. That's going to be the argument. The reality is the opposite. But we know in politics, perception can be reality. And the media is going to describe it this way. Those mean old Republicans going to get rid of our health care system, going to take away your, your Obamacare subsidies, is going to take away your expansion of Medicaid. Republicans have never been very good at explaining themselves. They certainly haven't been able to put together a program that's got a consensus on their side around health care reform. That is why, if you go back in the archives of this program on America's Web Radio and look at the proposals that I put forward, I put together an explanation showing the secrets of health insurance reform and getting to affordability. I've talked about a program that I referred to as MAGA Health, trying to get Republicans to rethink and take some action, put themselves together in some sort of a program. If they don't, they're surely going to be on defensive when we get to the next election around the health care issue. And if the economy is going great, comes back, that's where the Republicans are going to focus on. But they miss, they always seem to miss the importance of healthcare, which is why I wanted to do this program, why I wanted to weekly talk about solutions, private market solutions that will get people the things that they want, that we would have a consumer-driven healthcare program that's patient-centered, that focuses on getting people out there, you and me, 
the coverages we want, when we want it, how we want it, at an affordable price. It's time Republicans get their act together and put something on the table, at least a good, strong outline, not bumper stickers where they say, we're going to cover pre-existing conditions, but there's no program to describe that. There's got to be a program developed, and there's not much time left. There's no program out there that seems to have Republicans coalescing around the concepts of the ideas, the basic principles of it. We have to have that before the next election, where we're going to wind up in complete Democratic control, and you know what's going to happen, and I know what's going to happen. We're going to get a single-payer system. We're going to get a program as inadequate as the VA system, where people don't get the kind of care they want, and the prices are going to be outrageous. So please, continue to join me week after week as we go back and talk about the issues of health reform, what it's going to mean for the country and for the next election. Please join me next week on America's Web Radio. This is Ron Bachman signing off until next week, and we'll continue to look at healthcare insight. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.